Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Kanas Albinas, Makalua, the main team, Mega Bears fan. Right. Hello and welcome to episode 347. I'm the main team and I'm joined by regular co-host Candace Albinus. Blame Amtrak. It's not my fault. Bakalua. Also not to be confused with episode 387. That's still like a year off. In the future. And Mega Bears fan. My microphone's plugged in so I can actually talk now. Wee. Actually, a 2 af 487 387. What number are we actually on? 387. <laughs> 387, 387 is... It's 2021, actually? Yeah, it's like, it's two years away. Uh, well, well, that's, 487. That's 487, dude. That's 10 that's years like away. Five years off. That's like 10 years away. Yeah, yeah, we're going for that 10-year anniversary after all, I see. That would be a 20-year anniversary. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah let's not commit to that uh, just yet Mackie with not enough caffeine and math bad times happen oh man it's kind of the future in a different way because now Civ is coming to Xbox and PlayStation 4, finally. Or Civ 6, at least. The other ones have been on there before, but now Civ 6 is officially coming. There was an announced trailer and everything. And it's coming in November, which is around the same time, I think, last year as they did the Switch version. So everybody who wanted to play on console or wants an alternate way to play, like with their friends or something, uh, you just have to wait until November. We are so, about to see once again that the PC is the master race. I'm sure. Similarly, the the um, Switch versions also get their expansion packs on the same day. Unfortunately, for all concerned, the game itself is still sixty dollars, and the expansion pass for all three consoles is fifty extra dollars. So, one hundred and ten dollars for the for the whole game, brand new. For a mm. game that's been out on PC for what we going like three years now? I think three years, yes. Yeah, three ish. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that was a 2K decision to try and milk as much money as I could off of consoles. So Probably. don't get mad at Firaxis. I don't blame Firaxis for pricing decisions because they have no control over it at all. Yeah, um, that's always a publisher decision. Yeah, along with <laughs> release dates, are almost always exclusively publisher decisions as well. And I'm also assuming that Firaxis did not develop these ports. They were probably developed uh, by the same people who did the uh, the Switch port. Probably Aspire. Yeah, Aspire, that was it. I'm assuming, anyway. I haven't actually uh, seen the article to know for sure, but that would be my assumption. The general reaction to this, I think, has been mostly muted because people are like, well, no wonder it looks like a, a mobile game now. It's been designed that way from the beginning, and then the rest of us are like, "Now yeah, you're, uh, well, it's a little bit less hard to to say that it, you're a conspiracy theorist now, but yeah, it looks kind of that way, doesn't it?" You're still projecting know. slightly. Yeah, not quite mobile game status to turn up on a console. Yeah, yeah again, I, yeah. After three years of being out on PC, I, I'm not sold that they were planning all along for the game to be out on consoles because that's like a long time to you know, hold your cards close to your chest and then be like, surprise. Yeah, I, I bet it was one of those things more like they were con- they thought about it, but they weren't sure they were going to do it. That'd be my guess. I bet. But, yeah, it doesn't really matter. I bet it was. Re- given, Go ahead. And given that Civ also has touchscreen support, that's another reason that that interface is that way, because that's easier to go plunk, plunk, plunk on a tablet. Yeah, I'm sure what happened was, you know, they released the uh, iPad version Right. And they were like, well, that was successful. So let's just start putting it on other platforms until it's not successful on that platform. And then we'll stop. I suspect it had more to do with the Switch, actually, because the Switch has kind of been in the gameplay world. The, 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 oh, my goodness. Somebody just broke a plate downstairs. Um, the Switch has been 
a major game changer in terms of non-standard console titles because the Switch is kind of it's a Nintendo console so it's kind of in that gray area between a console a real console and a handheld device type thing so what likely happened is they put it out on the Switch because everybody else was putting games on Switch like every indie game on Steam is pretty much on Switch now and they're like hey this was really successful Let's do this on other places because we've already done most of the coding behind the scenes. And for my money, I would say if you're going to get one console version, the Switch version will probably be the best one to get because it is portable. And as I've said many times in previous episodes, having Civ on the go where you can just like play it on the bus or on the train or on a road trip where you're not the one driving, uh, it's really awesome. So that would be my recommendation. I would agree, although in my case, it's going to be more competing against the Pokemon game that comes out next month, so I have to switch uh, switch in between those games. Well, I guess you're just going to need two Switches then. Well, I think you, you well, save them both on the hard drive, I think. No, I, I just mean so you can... I was joking that you'd be playing both at the same time. Oh, I can't play both at the same time. I'm not that clear-headed. You have, you have two hands. I may have two hands, but I only have one brain. I don't think you could operate both of the little uh, controllers with... T- you know, only one hand on each. I don't think that's going to work. You're saying it's a two-hand job? It would be pretty yes. tough. Oy. And it, otherwise, yeah. go ahead. I did do the Civ 4, Civ 5 thing once, but that was pretty hard, even with the proper control, so it would be even harder to do this, I think. You did that on the same computer, though, didn't you? Yeah, I was tabbing between the two. Yeah, I have on many occasions had like my laptop out with me on the couch with the Civ running while I'm playing a console game on my PS4, and it always ends up being that one game is just paused and I'm playing the other game like almost exclusively. The whole trying to multitask thing with these games just doesn't work. Yeah, that only really works like if one game has a lot of wait time for something. Or maybe like it's like you, a real-time you're game. Searching like for a game that takes like five minutes consistently between... So, okay, then... Yeah, I have been fairly successful at that with games like uh, City Skylines, where, you know, it's like a real time thing and you just unpause the simulation and let it run for like 10 minutes while I'm, you know, playing a level or something on the console. I get that money. Yeah, exactly. Or those hearts of iron tax. (sighs) (laughs) And speaking of such games, I just saw that uh, Paradox also announced Crusader Kings 3. So hooray. With the convenient and very fitting Oh look, it's a movie with a video with a baby with a snake in it. That's 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 their cover image for Crusader Kings Three is a baby in a crib with a snake in it. <laughs> well, considering well, cons- the kinds of things you could do in that game, they might as well be upfront about it. To be fair, I was also going to say, considering the kind of errors you get in that game, well, a snake's going to happen in there a little more often than you'd like. It's harder to know though, because like CK Two has a proper development process for your heir so you don't just know right away that he's like a god or like a complete imbecile like right away at age one the traits well, kind of give it away sometimes but it, they don't even start with those though like you can tell your your kids becoming an idiot or whatever but you usually kill other people's kids all the same because like even an idiot kid can just be like thrown to the church or something it could be worse the cover could be a picture of a computer with a moth inside of it <laughs> mm. yes i'm not sure what that reference is other than hollow knight Oh, uh, that the game is buggy. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, the old I'm school sure reference. They don't like to acknowledge that those bugs exist typically, but yeah, I mean, it's a paradox. They're additional so features. Buggy. Yeah. In other news, Sid Meier did a um, particularly interesting video interview, and it was it's kind of weird. I don't remember exactly where he did this. It's Ars Technica, and it's like a 12 minute video where he's just talking about all the stuff he did with the original Civ and all the stuff that makes it good and why he thinks it's great. And the big uh, the big pull from this was it was almost a, a, a real-time strategy game, except he couldn't make it work the way he wanted to, so he stuck it on the shelf and let it sit for a while. And then they were doing some other game that was turn-based, and he was like, hey, this actually is kind of cool, let's try it with this, and the rest is history. But of course, the video starts off with the Gandhi bug. So, gotta start there. <laughs> the most, well, it is kind of one of the most famous bug type things that got turned into a feature, so to speak. It's probably civilization's biggest cult- biggest influence on meme culture. I don't know if I really like that or not, but hey, that's what it is. I These have people te- know what we are. 
I have a t-shirt of the uh, Gandhi bug. So, yeah. Or you're backed by nuclear weapons. Yeah. We saw that in door. But yeah, he goes on and he... Oh, whoops. Don't, 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 don't do that. There's all kinds of stuff in here about how, to, how he fixed certain problems with the design and how to deal with all this stuff. And then we find out that there's uh, a lot of data that's still in his basement on the original computers. And uh, he tried to fire one of them up, and it um, couldn't find the floppy disk. And then apparently there was a fire or something. Oh, dear. Jeez. That's scary, because I had it happen once. Yeah. So we no longer have the original source code for Civ 1, so does that mean no remaster anytime soon? I don't know if it was the original source code or just a computer that had all the stuff on it. Because I know we have copies of the game. I have them on my shelf. But I think... It has been said at some point that the the source code for Civ 2 has been lost. So I don't know about that, but yeah, companies weren't as uh, uh, consistent about archiving game source code back in the day. Well, Civ 2 is a little different because it was made by pretty much one guy, uh, Brian Reynolds, and he has been through like five different companies since then. So we don't know if any of that stuff is still around. PC Curly still has it. He might. People who are developers and other people who use computers a lot can sometimes be very stingy with losing data. But all it takes is one lightning strike if you're not prepared and buy. Yeah, it's true. It's interesting. Uh, Sid Meier almost made a Paradox game, or maybe made the Age of Empires almost, one or the other. Yeah. He talks about Age of Empires in the video. Now, does he clarify that the original real-time vision of the game was supposed to be on the scale of civilization, or was it going to be a smaller-scale thing like uh, Age of Empires or, you know, Europa Universal? His idea was the way Civ is now, but he couldn't make the mechanics work with real-time. And he decided... You guys hear that? Yeah, a slight beep? It's not a beep, it's a sweeper. Ah. Okay. Basically, they decided, well, we can't do it with real-time, so we'll try to do it another way. After seeing that that real-time didn't work, and shoot. This is the part where my brain decides that it's done. So It is hard to picture. <laughs> yeah. This real time. It's like like a Rise of Nations, but in a, like 15 years before that. Well, even Rise of Nations, though, like the if I recall correctly, the campaign was still turn-based. It was just the battles that were real-time, so... In Rise of Nations, the whole game is real time, because What's... yeah, because you're you're you progress through the entire tech tree in a single battle, so it's all oh, real time. Well, well, there was also again, if I recall correctly, there was like a campaign mode that was like a risk board where you you took like countries and territories, and each one of those had like a real time battle. That doesn't sound like Rise of Nations, but then again, that could have been a different mode that I don't remember. I know that there are a lot of games that do have stuff like that. Like, all the Total War games are like that. Oh, yeah. But anyway, let's move on to the next topica. My congrats at Firaxis AI, you finally outsmarted me. Is a thread titled by Rohirrim Elf here, and uh, basically the story is that he was attacking the Great Khan of Mongolia and got thwarted by a couple culverins. Even though he was four techs ahead of the AI, the AI beelined a military tech and stopped him cold, basically. And he's got a picture up of that. And so there's been some some discussion here on that the AI has improved, especially its ranged combat use in recent patches, and so that caught him off guard. But this is also, like, if you don't prioritize military tech, then you do open the door for this. I don't know if the AI is always going to beeline military tech to beat you, but uh, it can. <laughs> and especially military-oriented leaders, I would expect them to. So, yeah, yeah. if you're going to fight, you should probably prioritize military techs also. Uh, that was uh, an interesting story. I um, am inclined to put this down to a fluke. Probably. Because the way that this map looks, I don't know, I can't believe the AI was smart enough to say, if I settle these two cities here, it creates a complete choke point. Because yeah. that's effectively what happened well, that, there. That's definitely 
but there's been a lot of discussion about it being better at uh, focus firing down units with range. So although in this case, that doesn't really matter because you just have the city and the, and the range unit. That's it. <laughs> so uh, there's not a whole lot of thinking to do. It's just a situation where he's out tacked. I do have to say, though, that the way that uh, Civ6's map generation works with like the crazy mountain ranges that it creates... Like, it's very easy to just accidentally create choke points with some of your city placements just because there are so many mountains in the game. Yeah. I personally love that, but I know there are people who don't. I mean, it's mixed. I I would like to have a more open map so that moving massive armies around is not such a pain in the butt. But, you know, I also do like to have those, you know, really nice uh, choke points and and strategic locations going. So it's it's a mixed bag for me. Yeah. Map should have a mix of flatland or this these kinds of chokes. I don't want to see all of one or the other, but <clears throat> you have a map script where you're picking that, then you're going to get it, chokes. It would also yeah. be nice if some of those really big mountain ranges would have like a mountain pass or two through them, so that like you don't always have to go all the way around them all the time, because that also does get very tedious. Because sometimes they just block out large chunks of the map that you just can't get to until yeah, you can cause... sail around them. On Turncast on the weekends, we've run into that problem. There was like one map script. I, forget, I think it was seven C's, but the way the mountains were on it is everybody had these one hex wide choke points. So it was a, a terrible to try and get an army through. Yeah, I, I really feel somebody, like it was only because somebody was playing the Inca that we managed to salvage that. But uh yeah, I really feel like uh, like Civ Six in particular really could have used like two different types of mountain terrain, like a regular mountain and then like maybe like a peak where the peak is impassable. But the regular mountains are like maybe even if it damages your unit, like uh, the Carthaginian unique unit in Civ Five, like you lose thirty or fifty hit points or something like that if you end your turn on it, just so that you can get over them, even if it is a pain in the butt to do so. Looks like the yeah. sentiment in the thread is that the patch is finally pretty good. The- yeah, I think ranged combat in particular was like a big point of emphasis in the last two patches that they've released. It needed well, that'd be it. the biggest way to improve the AI because it's typically on defensive footing against the human still, and concentrated range fire is a lot more effective for killing in that scenario. Well, and I remember so many situations like before these patches where the AI would have a ranged unit that could attack me, and it just wouldn't, and I could never figure out why. Yeah, you're sitting there in the middle of the assault on a city, and they've popped up a crossbowman, and you're going, "Oh crap, here we go," and then nothing. Yeah, it just doesn't attack. Like, ever. Like, sometimes maybe it'll go two or three turns without attacking, and then, like, finally on the fourth turn before I'm about to take the city anyway, it gets off one ranged attack, and I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. But if it had been attacking those whole three or four turns, it would have really been, you know, damaging. Yeah, it would would have forced you to cycle units through and stuff, but if it just sits there and goes, and then, like, what is that? Yep. They also seem to bombard water units as well now. Well, finally, they learned the lesson we already knew when they like to sail up to our cities. We're like, oh, that's cute. You're in the water. You can die now. I think at one point they had actually patched it so that bombarding uh, embarked units didn't deal as much damage. because That was so damaging against the AI because they would just put their units on the water. And then they had that problem where they would go in the water and then they'd get out of the water and then they'd get right back in the water. Oh, that. <laughs> that's a longstanding I, Civ issue from Civ 5 even. Yeah. Has that one range... even been fixed? Uh, and they, I think they intentionally nerfed the damage that like archery type units do to naval units, and so uh, that that's probably what you're seeing there. I, I, I could have swore there was a point where they had nerfed the damage against embarked units as well, but I I could be misremembering. Specifically, maybe, maybe. I think I thought they were still pretty flimsy though. Like if you attack them with actual boats, but I, I feel I yeah. Like, well, I meant, I meant like from a land unit. I was yeah. going to say, I feel like a, a naval transport should be flimsy against a, na- a naval unit, but... Right. Yeah. No, I, I definitely well, know that... that one shot, which is unfortunate, but... Yeah, uh, I know that one-shotting an embarked unit from a, with, like, a, a ranged land unit was very common in Civ Five, and in uh, Civ Six, it seems to take two or three shots, from my experience. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I just don't like when, like, a combat ship, a contemporary combat ship, can't kill an embarked unit easily. Remember the old days when naval units didn't didn't originally defend back in the Civ the Civ Five early days. So naval ships could kill them just by sailing onto them, but then they couldn't attack other naval units. And at the same time, the AI would never attack embarked units because they didn't have a defense value. Yeah, Civ Five naval stuff. 
That was early Civ Five. Like, they fixed that later, but yeah, yeah, that was a meme too. Basically, that was, <laughs> was really bad. That was when Ahsoka was given defending naval, defending, um, defending embarked units as a positive, and it turned out only to be a negative because the AI just crushed him, crushed all their units as they were coming instead of just leaving them alone like they normally did. Thank goodness. Well, it's good to see at least some incremental improvement to the AI because the game did need it. So that's nice. Okay. Well, then moving on, we have another another topic from Syphonatics user Zandino, uh, titled "Choose Five African Civilizations Never Seen Before That You'd Most Like to See Included in the Franchise," and then is a list of like twenty or so uh, possible civilizations and a poll to vote on which one you would like to see the most. And it looks like currently Madagascar is winning by quite a margin. Which is really ironic because Madagascar is the least representative of an African culture in the list. It's mostly, it's more, much more closely related to Indonesia and France than it is to anything from Africa. Swahili has a fair few votes. Yeah, I think that would be my vote. I think... There's also the Ashanti up there as well. Yeah, and Zimbabwe. The Ashanti makes sense because they were basically the West African Zulu, except with guns. And they they needed more wars to be taken down by the Europeans than the the Zulu did. Although, I personally think if we're going to see another big African nation, it'll probably be Nigeria. Just because Nigeria is a relatively... When I say this, I say relatively relatively modernizing African country whose population is on track to pass the U.S. by 2050, which means that's a big market that they're going to want to counter to uh, cater to. Well, the forum users seem to disagree with you because that only got like 13 percent of the votes. Yeah, but, but yeah, good point. But I, I have a pretty good idea that most of the forum users are not demographics people. Yeah, no, but. The demographic thing is a very good point. I mean, they added Brazil because Brazil is a huge market. They added Indonesia because Indonesia is currently fourth behind the U.S. in population. And Nigeria is going to be right ahead of the U.S. in 30 years, so might as well get them in there for early. I wonder what the numbers are and how that increases the number of purchases in those countries. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I read that uh, the inclusion of the Polish civilization was a, in Civ Five was a really big deal for people in Poland. Oh, okay. I can't imagine that anybody in a in an African country would be averse to like if you live, let's say you live in Lagos. It's a pretty big city, kind of downtrodden in a lot of places, but there are people there who can afford games like this. You yeah, get yeah. you get um, the opportunity to play as your own country. Where instead of one of the other big colonial powers that everybody has heard of for a hundred years, I think that's a pretty big incentive to play it because most games don't include people like that from that part of the world. And uh, as it may not be the way that we think of it, but to them, it's probably a big deal. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I think even the the Polish uh, uh, disc releases, the physical releases of Civ Five: Brave New World, had Kashmir on the cover. Like they yeah, made, I was going to say, I, I distinctly remember that, that they had their own special cover for that. And they were like, woo! And I don't recall if any of the other countries got a special cover other than Poland. China probably did at some point, but... Probably. Oh boy, Chinese market. Well, okay, that would make sense then. <sighs> Careful, Although... we don't want to get banned by China. <laughs> they well, don't even know we exist. And it is fairly yeah, common care, for... Honestly. It is fairly common for video games to have alternate covers for like the North American versus European versus, uh, you know, usually Japanese or Asian releases. So I, I would not be surprised if that were the case as well. Africa is still pretty um, overlooked in terms of the, this kind of stuff. Nigeria is a growing power, but they are also very poor still. They will be they will probably be getting a lot of stuff underway pretty quickly, though. I imagine they'll be. At least mid twentieth century levels of prosperity within the next forty years. So that's not bad considering what pop what the current situation is. Yeah, as long as it keeps the building. Who would I like to see out of this list? Like no one would bother me in this list, really. But I don't feel strongly uh, for anybody here, just for my own personal playing stuff. 
<clears throat> yeah, I don't feel that I know enough about all of the civilizations that have been in Africa for me to make a good judgment. I would be against South Africa only because it's another British uh, colony. Yeah, yeah, there is that one. And I don't think they'd add South Africa just because who are you going to put as the leader who's not controversial? Everybody before yeah, Mandela is spicy. Yeah, anybody before Mandela is going to be called a racist, and anybody who isn't Mandela who after him is going to be called too recent. And Mandela is too recent, so I don't know. Zimbabwe is kind of a nightmare because of what's been going on there. You wouldn't have to represent that. That region has history long before. That is true. I don't know much about Zimbabwe pre-colonial history. Because you would want to use that. Because uh, uh, if you're going with how they are in the colonial period, unless you have like the Zulu's notable battles or something, yeah, all the pretty much all get a lot Africa, unique compared to before. Pretty much all the African civs that are in the game or have been in the franchise already, I think, are you know colonial era civilizations. So yeah, I mean, it would be nice to have something pre-colonial. Yeah, well, we have the most documentation of that, right? So that, that's probably why that's happening. The leader of Congo is literally called Alfonso in Portuguese because he was the one who converted Congo to Christianity. So, yeah, yeah that, that's pretty fair to say that it's pretty Eurocentric, but that's just the way it is. A, Bur- a pre-Islamic Berber kingdom would be interesting. I don't know which one you would pick. I don't know if any one of them is more um, prominent than the others. Which one? It looks like. It looks like the forum user just suggested lumping them all together. Like Numidia? As Numidia? Problem yeah. with the Numidia is it's close to Nubia. Even though they are distinct places with different cultures, and the Romans called them similar things, therefore, what would we call them? Because you can't just pick one and call them that, because that would be like calling the Native Americans the Sioux and putting all of their cultures just, together. Because that's never that. happened in Civ. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be, it would probably wouldn't be as bad as going with a Native American civilization, but... <laughs> that was... Yeah, that's more extreme, but it's the same kind of path. At the same time, you don't really want to be representing the Cherokee with a, with a Sioux leader, so... <laughs> the Native American Empire is great, though. Yeah, about that. In terms of fun to play, yes. In terms of historical accuracy, what? <laughs> then again, that was the version of Civ that gave us the Holy Roman Empire. That's true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Voltaire would be sad. That's true. They didn't just do it to North America, did they? No. <laughs> I don't know why they did that. There were so many other choices they could have picked. Why did they pick freaking Otto? Was it Otto? Pretty lousy. The the the, fo- no, the forums getting in on it. I don't know. I think uh, I think Frederick was the Holy Roman Emperor in Civ Four. No, it was Charlemagne. Oh, well, that's right. That makes sense. But I just remember the Burger <laughs> King. Frederick was leading Germany in that's Civ Four. Right. Yeah, I think they just wanted to include Charlemagne. Yeah, because there were all those DLC or all those not DLCs, but scenarios. They had like fifteen scenarios with that one that were just kind of messing with stuff. Also on the list. Ausaland, Dahomey, Ghana. I actually don't know where most of these are. I know where Yolof is. But that's... I know where most of these are because of playing Paradox games. I was, was going to say, yes. I, I, I was not taught this in school. No, in North America. The only one I don't really recognize is like Nock. I, I, don't, I don't know where that is. Nock, I believe, is one of those central Congolese powers. Hmm, okay. Oh, and if you type in knock into Google, you you get Nokia, tele, uh, Nokia stock. Yeah. Let's see, Nokia culture, knock culture. Nokia culture. Nokia culture. It's a brick that never dies. Northern Nigeria vanished around 500 AD under unknown circumstances. After 2,000 years of iron smelting and historical linguistics suggesting that they came from somewhere else. So we don't really know much about them. Yeah. Probably why they don't have any votes. We wouldn't have anything around which to build a, a sieve that represented in the game. We have a lot of their art because they were around for a long time, but yeah, they just kind of disappeared. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that's a little early need, for colonies. You need unique units or buildings or something or and a leader. Is yeah. there a single yeah. Swahili culture though, or is it just a group of cultures with similar language? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a language group, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I don't know that there's ever been a unified Swahili like that. I just realized we're a bunch of white people talking about African cultures like we have any idea what we're talking about. <laughs> That's why oh. I said earlier I'm not qualified. 
you kind of need to to pick a, a favorite sieve here, though. Yeah. Or pick five sieves that you want to put in the game. Like you, you need to consider their history somehow. But yeah, we're with what we, we don't have. have vast knowledge of it, so we'll have to pick based on what knowledge we do have. But yeah. then again, that's going to be true for most of the sieve player base, uh, and, at least and, as of right now. I would imagine. And bottom line is, I think we're all in agreement that we would like to see more representation of that continent. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to see some of these countries. <laughs> Not Ethiopia again, please. <laughs> well, and I'd, I'd love to have an opportunity to learn about them because, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed about civilization is it does teach me a little bit of, of history of these different cultures. Yeah. A little surprise to see Nadongo on this list. Nadongo. Yeah. Putting that in the same game with Congo is interesting. Yeah, considering that they're, yeah. Fight it out. Well, I think we can suggest su- uh, say we successfully hashed that one. So it is time for me to make another musical cue because I'm not paying attention, because I'm not doing my job properly, and blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Time for more Indian sieves. It's time for yet another elimination thread. I looked through, I went through when I was picking topics, I discovered to my shock this morning after putting all this stuff together two nights ago that we skipped over the leader ability elimination thread that was originally scheduled for last week's or last, the last show that got canceled because of Amtrak being lazy. So we will go over that one at some point in the future, but today it's unique Infrastructure elimination thread for Gathering Storm. Same rules as always, uh, minus no, minus the extra drama that happened. We'll just ignore that. And it looks like the winners, the Greek Acropolis, followed by the Russian Lavra and the Korean Seowon, the Mali Sugdoba, the German Hansa, the Indonesia Kampang, the Persian Paradisia, the Phoenician Kothon, the Incan Terrace Farm, and the Maori Maure. I think those are all pretty decent. I don't know if I'd put Acropolis first. Is that that doesn't seem right I, to me? But yeah, and I haven't played Greece enough to really get the sense of how the value is on that. Where's one, Korea and the Seoan? Yeah, one Greek, <coughs> a bunch of culture, basically. one culture for each adjacent district, plus two for being adjacent to the city center. That seems so mundane. It's a lot of early game culture, though. You're going to power through the civics tree. I remember the time when we thought culture was useless. Who thought that? Well, it's I don't know. Who was that, you. Phil? <laughs> I don't remember. Doesn't research aesthetics either. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I researched aesthetics all the time. Because it was good before. to trade. It was important trading tech. Yeah. I'm talking about in Civ <laughs> 6, when Civ 6 first came out, there was a big yeah, movement. Yeah, no, I just built units and killed everything. Yeah. Uh, among the, the turncast players, especially, there was a big movement to ignore culture and just build units and kill everything. Well, it worked. It worked until. Yeah. <laughs> well, for the as short games aware, that we're it still playing, it works on nearly every difficulty. I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, it's it's not bad to have culture because then you can get stronger units. Yeah, fusion. Yeah, now that more of the government stuff is uh, useful and things, we have more uses for culture. Whereas at first, I think when we had just base Civ Six, it didn't feel as useful. But as the expansions have come out, it's gotten more useful. Okay, so if we want to go over just basically what the top five. Best over uh, the top five things are you've got the the Acropolis, which we already talked about. Then there's the the Lavra, the Russian holy I'm not site. Sure I would put that that high. Plus uh, plus two profit points instead of plus one expands the city's per- borders whenever there's a great city. Plus one great wider archer great and person. wider writer archer and musician points that's not bad but i don't think it's that good personally no i think it feels stronger just because russia as a whole is stronger with culture and religion i guess if you really want that uh to found a religion having twice as many great profit points early in the game is going to be really a huge deal especially on higher difficulty levels where the uh ai is always beeline to religion yeah they can get it pretty fast though so you'd have you still have the sacrifice considerably to found a religion with them. If you really want that, I would play it. Right. Yeah, that's true. Russia's uniques are better elsewhere, I would say. Actually. But it's also giving you the the artist points. So yeah, I mean, it's not it's not bad, but 
Number it, two? I don't know. It, yeah, yeah, it might still be top ten, but it's a, two is probably a little much, is a little it, high. Is it better than the Madrasa even, which is just faith equal to science adjacency from your normal university? So it does everything the university does, and it gives you faith plus the adjacent for the adjacency bonus. That's amazing. Why is that not higher? It's like in the second tier. Yeah, it's not even in the top. It's not even in the top ten, even though I would say that's probably better than most of them. What does the Maori Maori do? Replaces the amphitheater, loses base culture, citizen, writer slot, plus one culture, and fate? Faith. Do all cities tiles with a passable feature, plus one tourism to all tiles, This all this city's tiles with fly. Okay, that can be pretty good. That's pretty Very good. Very map dependent. Yes, yeah. but yeah. And why is the Ordu not higher? Why is it twenty nine out of forty five? Mongolia the, the, plus one the movement Mari, for all cavalry. Yeah, the Mari also has a really lot of strong, but a lot of people don't do war, so they don't. It doesn't grade it as highly. Say again, um, Jason. I was just saying that the Mari also has a lot of trade offs because uh, if you're trying to get the most benefit from that, then you're not going to be chopping features, which means you're not going to get those uh, free yields. Yeah, I'd say that's almost more of a break even than it is a bonus. It is. It's like the one sieve where leaving features intact actually like does give you a break even where it might actually be better to leave them there. And then, of course, later in the game, you can just chop a forest and then replant it. So although that costs production to get the builders. True. Let's see. Next one, Korea, Seowon. We all know about the Seowon and how um what do we say how do yeah. we say this um, pretty good it is it's not great but it's okay isn't that the one that's just i'm not saying it because i can't read how to I think it's, read this it's like a flat four flat five science bonus but it has to be not adjacent to another district yeah plus four science no adjacency yeah because you're supposed to be building it next to like mines and things and that's how it gets its extras yeah must be built on a hill minus one penalty for each neighboring district you know so I, I, yeah. I guess I it's, I Seiwon guess, might, go ahead. I was just saying, I think the say one might be my number one. I think it's a, a pretty dang good building. Like just knowing that you're always going to get a plus four uh, bonus for every science district you plop, not even having to worry about where you put it. Yeah, you basically cool. just need a hill. That's it. Well, you, you do need to not put it near other districts. Yeah. That's <clears throat> yeah. That, yeah. That's easy enough. And it know. means you're a little bit less dependent on the map being good around you, so you don't have cities who can't get science because they're like in flatland or something like that. You know, not near rainforests. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, I feel like it's just always going to be good, and sometimes will be better. You know. Yeah, and I guess unless you're really short on hills, because then you have to stack production just to get your science. And then the next one, the Malinese. Oh, why can't I speak? The Malinese Suguba. This one, actually, I consider very good because 20% yeah, discount on all faith and gold purchases on top of Molly's ridiculous high gold count. That's pretty yeah. good. And then it gives the usual harbor adjacency bonus from Holy Sites as a commercial district, which makes it much more flexible. Yeah, pretty unique, too, but certainly yeah. good. <laughs> it's hard not to like more money when you're already the Molly. And I would like that on standard saves, too. Honestly, yeah. but certainly good for Mali as well. The German Hansa plus two production if adjacent to a commercial hub plus one production from all resources, except it loses adjacency from mines and lumber camps. Uh, don't know if that's as good as it used to be. Is because if you're if you have to build it next to a commercial hub and next to things that don't give it adjacency, is it really that good? Yeah. I'm not convinced that's top ten any longer. Indonesia Kaipang. Is that how it's pronounced? You're our expert on pronunciation. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I'm having trouble because I have to scroll through this list that is not alphabetized to find what the heck I'm talking about. Alphabetized by Civ in, in the respective categories. Yeah, but they're not. The list itself doesn't doesn't categorize yeah. them, so you have to look through each list or remember what they are. And my memory has been going bad in the last five years. Can't even remember where I parked my car this morning. Okay, Kampung, Indonesia, must be built on coast or lake tiles adjacent to sea tiles, but not on reefs. Plus one housing, plus one production, plus one food from every adjacent fishing boat, plus one housing with mass production, plus one production with civil engineering, plus one tourism with every bonus food with flight. Would you like your fishing boats to be extra awesome? 
I, I, I would build them, but I don't know if they're top tier. The problem is a lot of the stuff you need to go pretty deep in the tech tree to see the bonuses. Yeah, like it's one production, pile. it's one production, one housing until the Renaissance era. Yeah, and one food from every adjacent fishing boat. Well, adjacent and also slightly map dependent as well. Yeah, yeah I guess if you have adjacent fishing boat, it's gonna be a lot of builder charges to get decent coastal mm-hmm. stuff going on it yeah. and get hurricaned. But other than that, and you will have good tiles. And then you have yeah, I've pro- I've yeah, I found that problem playing as Indonesia both by myself and in turn cast is getting the workers to put out all the fishing boats to, to then build those to take care of that is a lot of turns. I could be building an army and squishing something. I feel like stuff that is in the top 10 is things that should be conferring you benefits pretty early in the game that are really strong. Like this yeah, one. Like that bill. The Parish Periodiza, which is much better in my opinion. Plus one culture, plus two gold, plus two appeal, plus one culture for every adjacent holy site and theater district, plus one gold for every adjacent commercial hub and city center, plus one culture with diplomatic service, available at early Empire Civic in the ancient era. Yeah. Much better. Yeah, that's significant. Although you can't build them adjacent to each other, you can build more than one per city. And you can build more than one adjacent to the same districts as yes. well. You can just build them across the district from each other. Yeah. And they're improvements, which means you can always tear them down later if you want to, like, say, put an industrial hub, you know, there or a you know theater square there later to get different bonuses. Yeah, that does kind of give the improvements an advantage over the districts. Yeah, that's something that I've always liked about the civs that have the unique uh, improvement is you can plop them early, get their benefits, and then later on, you don't have to worry about, you know, uh, having to plan around them as you can always just tear them down if you need to. And they're a lot easier to uh, repair if they get pillaged. Yes, much easier. I like that about them. What's next? Got to scroll all the way back up here. The Kothan plus 50% plus 50 settler and workboat production, I think it is. Naval units and settlers. Naval units and settlers allows you to build your capital on another continent. All naval units within cities' borders heal 100 per turn. That's pretty nice, but... How often do we use naval units? I guess the settler advantage is pretty dang good. Is it? You have to actually have a harbor down to build to get the settler bonus and build the Kothan. Yeah. So it's not going to be your first couple cities with it. Uh, um, but if you you have a relatively open map uh, to settle, then it gets better, uh, especially because settler costs scale up over time too. But that's situational, in my opinion. If you're only building somewhere between three to five cities anyway. Uh, before you need to go on the warpath, then it's a lot less attractive. It's great for like a medieval or renaissance, you know, mass expansion, though, where you just pump out like five or six settlers and go claim all the empty spaces on the map. If there is that much empty <clears throat> space, but yeah. yeah I think the production the- towards naval units is its biggest selling point, really. Uh, that's yeah, because in any nice. era, going to be able to build an, a naval a naval thing, an armada that much faster, and then take it over to where you need it. Yeah, and if it's close enough to your waters, getting the extra healing is nice too. And I yeah, assume you can stack, stack that naval production card on that and just go yeah. Nuts. And, mm-hmm. and if I remember correctly, those are still plus one hundred percent production, right? The the policy cards, or did they get nerfed to fifty percent like everything else? I want to say it's fifty percent. I mean, I know it definitely is on the army versions of those. Yeah, I don't remember if that's still the case for naval. It might be a hundred for naval, though. I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head. And hypothetically. Hypothetically, you could use that building to potentially play keep away with your capital and indefinitely prolong another <laughs> player's domination victory. It doesn't usually uh, work that way because it takes forever to build the dang thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I know, yeah. which is why I said hypothetically. Yeah, you could it, save it, yourself it could about be, once with that. Yeah, it could be a funny troll uh, ability. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah, you'll... <laughs> delay the game by a few turns. If you're losing your original capital, you're probably not in the game any longer in terms of being a threat to land. Unless it's a two a one-on-one game and they're just going for a snipe. I could I, I could definitely see someone using that uh to play Kingmaker though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like if someone else is about to win a different victory, but then why are they attacking you rather than that other person is actually about to win? I'm it's well, no, you you let you move your capital to another player so that they can take it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Oh, I see. 
So you're giving somebody else an early domination win rather than some a third person getting a science win. I, I mean, I guess these are all or, uh, another, or the third person also getting the domination win or something, depending on how many people are in the game. Well, you can't have two people being a legit threat for domination because you have to own all the other capitals. So that includes the other supposed domination winner. Yeah, we're, we've forgotten that rule because in Civ Five until Brave New World, you didn't have to. You just had to be the only one with your own capital. Yeah, yeah, those accidental domination victories were always funny in, in Civ Five, where <sighs> everyone else would take all the other capitals and you would just never fight a war at all. And then, oh, you're the winner. You want a military victory. Just Everybody re- else, wait, what? <laughs> it just reminds me of, oh, Majin, may he rest in peace. Uh, he's not actually dead. Don't send him a card. Don't panic. Um, yeah, don't panic. He had a, he had his Maya LP in Civ Four or Civ Five. And he was up against Mongolia, who had the last spaceship part and had taken all the other capitals except for the ones that Matt had. And he just sniped the capital and won with paratroopers uh, by taking out the last spaceship piece before he got it to his capital. And it was one tile away from the capital. So, yeah, they changed that because they had good reason to. But anyway, eh, yeah, the next the next one. Number eight, I believe, is the no, number number no, num, number nine, the Incan Terrace Farm, available from the start of the game. Requires hills, can be built on volcanic soil. Point five housing, one food, one food for adjacent mountain, one production if adjacent to freshwater, and one plus two if adjacent to an aqueduct, and and um, that eliminates the plus one if adjacent to freshwater. I've only played a handful of games with the uh, Inca, and I have found the Terrace Farm to be very good, but it is map-dependent. But yes. even that's, as we mentioned earlier, Civ Six really likes to make those crazy huge mountain ranges. You're usually going to get some fairly decent use out of this improvement. Speaking of which, the other Incan unique improvement, the Quapacnan, is 36 in the bottom 10. And that's the, I... that's the ancient era tunnel through the mountains. Are you freaking say, out of your minds? <laughs> yeah. Do you not like tunnels through mountains? You, that is a total game any, changer if you can use it. Do you disapprove of being able to actually get to other places on the map, or are you just turtling all the time? Especially before the game was patched and you could move naval units through your mountains. <laughs> that was great. When you could move naval units across the continent if you built them in, on every mountain. Yeah. Magical underground teleporting boat. That was certainly interesting. And if you look at the map that we just saw where the, or the other topic where they were chokehold in those two places, if they were the Inca, they could have built tunnels to the mountains to go around that choke point. And on top of all that, I think it's just an instant teleport from the entrance to the exit, right? Which means that if yeah. you do have like a super long, snaky mountain range, like it's better than having a railroad. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you have the literal in-game equivalent of the Andes Mountains, where it's like this really long, long thing, you're in Argentina one minute and you're in Bolivia the next. Right. And available in the ancient era. Yeah. Better than railroads, but available in the ancient era. Yeah. Let's emphasize that again. In the ancient era, tunnels. Why why would you? Yeah. Why is it that low? That's at least top 20, if not top 10. Yeah. Yeah, And that's a a mid-tier at worst. I don't think it's. I don't even think it's worth the consideration for top ten because it's very useful, but it's also situational. And, True, uh, but it, but top but it's, I don't know if I'd put it that low, but I wouldn't put yeah. the Mongolian one that low either. I, I think some people just don't have the the military preference, so they would rate these things that allow your mo- your units to move better or more poorly. But that doesn't make sense because in the same list, it's better than the Georgian TSK, which is just a freaking Renaissance walls that gives you plus four faith. But that's later in the game. Much later so, in the game. And it's still better in their ha- eyes than this. Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, dumb choice. This is why I, I don't. I don't understand anything mid to late game uh, being rated reasonably highly. Like the Canadian hockey rink is considered better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like hockey, but come on. I mean, I don't know if As I like hockey. Yeah, the golf course is better, according to these people. Who else is better, according to these people? The Chinese Great Wall. Does that even do anything? Yeah, Chinese Great good. Wall. Sure. Plus two gold, plus two gold for each adjacent Great Wall, plus two culture from each Great well, Wall. That's much better. Uh, Great Wall's pretty good. Like, and uh, that's probably a little too low. I was going to say, <laughs> why is that number 24? 
That that should and not be outside tunnel, top twenty. It should be in the upper part of the top eleven to twenty. I'd say, man, maybe even be- like that, no, Great Wall is really good. I don't know why it's there. That's pretty ridiculous. Like, why that's is like, yeah? That's a bigger snub in my mind than the Incan one. Why well, the Incan mountain tunnel thing? It's like it's not just for moving military units. Like it's also really useful for moving your civilians around. Like you can get builders across the map. You can get settlers across the map to where you want to settle them. Like it's in practice, it's not going to be meaningful for those though. Reason being, you have to actually build the thing first. And by then, you should probably have your initial cities up. And you're going to be producing builders close to where you're using them. So you're not spending a lot of time moving them. In the- so it might have some marginal use for builders and settlers, but it's not going to be a big deal for those. Well, I, I can see it being useful for settlers because it's it does come very early. Are you going to build like these things before cities? Maybe on like really mountain-heavy maps or something, but... It comes at foreign trade, which is like the second or third tech. You still spend production on it, though. All it takes so it is a, it's delaying a, your actual cities. It's so a single builder to, charge. Well, well two, I think he's arguing. I think he's arguing you should be using those to do mines and farms and other things as opposed to getting into the mountains initially. I don't yeah, know. Unless there's a really, unless you're saving a ton of turns from this, it could be very useful for forward settling as well. It could be. But th- this is not like this is definitely not a top ten, and no. But I, I was saying I think it's mid tier at worst. I, I might put it lower mid tier, just because it's it's not a guaranteed benefit. Uh, in some maps, it's going to give you almost nothing. In other maps, it could be very useful. But in most maps, it's just somewhat useful. But it's compared to the Great Wall, like you can force the issue with that. That thing that's way too low. That is an awful snub. <laughs> I don't I don't know how that got eliminated. Maybe somebody has something against China. Well, China does have issues right now. Cough, cough. That's true. That's true. Well, and, and one of the issues with these illumination threads is I think uh, the same person can vote multiple times. So, yeah, you could have people just spamming their favorite one, logging in every day. Yeah, I think it's like a once per day thing or something. Yeah. And there was definitely enough drama in this thread that the mods considered canceling all illumination threads in the future for a while. So, whoa. Apparently, somebody was very cranky. You cut out there. What was that? There was apparently enough drama in this thread that the mods considered uh, stopping the allow... Uh, stop, uh, stopping allow... Let me see if I can speak this in a language that actually resembles English. No, we got that part. Uh, what did someone do that made them consider this? I don't know. There was just a lot of crankiness and, and name-calling and vitriol, apparently. Oh. That's... That's uh, so out of left field compared to other elimination threads, but okay. I mean, you'd think that the, they'd come up with something of, something else to be really flamey and spammy about. <laughs> I mean, there are so many are other you, good topics. Building, uh, what? Electronics factory. What is that? That's the Japanese building that's culture after pre- pre- electricity and it's plus five so bonus when powered in instead of plus five, plus four production to all city centers instead of plus three. Very very minor, so I can understand why that's not very good. And it's one yeah, of those things where, like, the game might literally be over by the time you yeah. can build one. Yeah. I want to say uh, something that I think got snubbed slightly is the Sumerian Ziggurat. I would I'd probably put that in my top ten. I don't uh, know. It's an improvement that you can build pretty much anywhere that just gives you science. And culture. You got near or ever. Yeah, and culture. And again, like I said before, the benefit of it being an improvement is you can tear it down later when you want to build like a commercial hub or something along that river. Why is the Spanish mission so high? People like to do religions and do faith wins. I don't know. I yeah, always I thought the it. I thought the Swedish open air museum was pretty good, but I can understand why it would be not so high on the list. Nationalism. Well, usually the Swedes get boosted because of that, but I mean, if we were going to talk about nationalism, why is America at 39? No, I mean, it's unlocked by nationalism. Uh, it's not an early game option. Okay. Take capital Stockholm. Well, that's imperialism, though. Yeah. Well, unlocked with the same tech in that game. The mission, plus two faith, another two additionally, and plus one food production of a different continent from your capital. So are they just assuming that you're going to have this, you have a lot of studies off from your capital's continent? I guess. That's their idea. And you need to have exploration for it. So it's not early game. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's not bad. And it's pretty good if you can make use of it, which you might eventually. 
but the the time of the game where you're really getting benefits from stuff is usually passed by then. Well, that belongs to It's kind of a joke to have that out of the Great Wall. What, uh, <laughs> That's true for a lot of things. Do we think that re- po- the Polish building is in the right place? Because it's it's plus two gold from international trade routes and um, plus four gold for domestic trade routes. And it's a no, market replacement. Plus two production. Oh, pr- production. Two, that's even gold. better. Yeah, so that's pretty good. Why is that so low then? Why is that below primary? What's the price at? I'm gonna look that up too. Some of the stuff is just too high. I think I'd rather have the Dutch polder than the Spanish mission. I would agree. Yeah, it's map dependent, but it's pretty good. And I think one of the things that people often overlook about the polder is you can put it on lake tiles. Oh, the prize ad is the one that gives all units trained um, by the reli- by the religious place to get martyr. So lots of relics. Yeah, the the Khmer building is really good if you're going for a science vic- or a, a religion victory. Like I would even say that the Khmer are one of like the top sieves for religious victory because of that building. Yeah, our culture. How many polders are you gonna get in a game? Uh, yeah, it, it's it's map dependent, but like I said, I think a lot of people overlook the fact that you can build them on lakes, and a lot of lakes are like you know two, three, or four tiles where the you build them all adjacent to each other, and they all buff each other. So those lakes get really good. Oh, yeah, the Dutch polder, especially uh, if you can build that wonder, the lake wonder, the Huey clock clock tall, so, or whatever. Yeah, it's the Aztec thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These are pretty ridiculous in the late game, but they're. Still not bad early. It's like plus one. You get a few adjacent polders in, in a lake shore, but. But you have to wait till Atomic Era. Yeah. I was just saying I, I, I would rather have those than the Spanish mission. I would too, actually. The Spanish mission know. is pretty useless for me. I, I consider that similar. I might. Sl- I don't know. I don't know if I'd slightly prefer the polder. Because you've, uh, you have a pretty good chance of getting off continent to some degree and then making use of the mission. So. I don't know. Well, especially considering, them that, are great. especially considering that different continent no longer means different land mass in Civ Six, yeah. so you don't even necessarily need to be able to sail across the ocean to technically settle on a different continent. Like I've had plenty of games where like my capital is basically straddling the line between two continents, and all of my cities are <laughs> spread across two different continents right from the start of the game. Yeah, and then uh, if you conquer anything at all, it's very likely to factor in as well. So that's definitely something that makes the mission you know, better than uh, than it might at first seem. And probably the same thing with the Phoenician Copan, right? Because, you know, technically different continents can be on the same landmass. Basicoli Pospides from Macedon. That seems a little high to me, although gain science equal to 25% the unit's cost. That seems like it's not that great because it's assuming you have a, a what, 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 what does a battleship cost? A lot. No, I mean, <laughs> what came to mind too for me, actually. They are pretty expensive. Civilization 6 Wikia. Free plug. Battleship. Battleship. All to power. That's not what I asked for. Does that count naval units? I don't know. I don't think so. It's a barracks replacement. Well, battleship is. Well, just assume that, a battle, assume that it uses the battleship because I assume the battleship is about equal cost to like a land unit from the same time, right? I mean, according to the description here on Siphonatics, a battleship is in fact a combat unit, so it should count yeah. based on this. But either way, twenty-five percent of the science or of the units cost to build that would be a hundred and nine science. And how much does an average technology in that era cost? Good question. The technology required is steel. The technology costs one thousand and forty. One thousand one hundred forty. So you're talking a little bit less than a tenth of a uh, comparable tech. Roughly, yes. Mm. That's hard to tell, isn't it? Yeah, like, it's probably significantly weaker in pure science than the Seiwan, but... If you have ten cities... you a lot of units throughout a game... Yeah, if you, if you have ten cities all producing units, that could be an extra tech every time you build units, which would be every ten turns, roughly. You have to pay for those units, though, and you only need so many units. Yeah. But still, it's probably a few thousand science across the game. It's hard to rate that. Are you able to sell units and get you'll get gold back for them? Or did they nerf that? I do not recall. I think I know you used to be able to do that, but... Oh, that's the, true. That would be um, 
that'd be pretty interesting because then you would have the CIF4 equivalent to, or the CIF6 equivalent of CIF4's building research. Yeah. Building units and building Yeah, one of the biggest hangups with that building, though, is going to be if you did spam out a bunch of units very early before you had that building in play and then you don't need to build very many units later, then uh, you're going to be kind of shooting yourself in the foot a little bit there. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, if you can't just if you can't just delete the units, especially if you do get gold back for it, then yeah, you could just spam that and just it, even just keep producing cheap units. I can't imagine that being efficient, though. I, I think the best use of this is probably to um, build units as part of a tech rush to an important tech, and then upgrade the units and attack somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, again, if uh, if the uh, tech that you get or if the science you get is about equivalent to a tenth of a, a you know era comparable tech, then yeah, just if you can spam out 10 units real quick, then you're potentially getting that, uh, that tech in, you know, like one or two turns. And I think we have hashed that to death too. Agreement? Disagreement? Any other, anybody have anything left to say? Well then. Nope. Nope. Do I have my list? Are we just going to wait? Are we supposed to be doing the outro over the, yeah, this is a this is like a three minute audio clip. So sorry. Uh, this has been Polycast episode number three hundred and forty seven. I am Mega Bears fan, along with your other regular co host, Canis Albinus. Oi, teach me how to speak. Makalua. I will after I have more caffeine. And the me and team. Come see my great wall of horse art. <laughs> and eventually we'll learn how doing this live is supposed to work. But <laughs> I think we're doing pretty good. Okay. some time, please. We're doing pretty good considering when we started and how much practice we've had. We'll do it live. No, we're not Bill O'Reilly. We'll be perfect at this by episode 487. <laughs> no words on it. Hopefully. Audio clips, oh crap. Civilization sound clips, copyright, take two interactive. The games included include Civilization 3, 4, Beyond Earth, and 6. And 5, actually. Copyright the polycast at thepolycast.net.